It's the Daily Talk Show, episode 589. Back on the show by Nason Popular Demand. Naraki, hey. Dr. Sugar. Yeah. Dr. Sugar. <laughs> you know what? My mum loved the episode that you were on last. Oh, really? Oh, awesome. She's like, that man with um, the accent, he's lovely. <laughs> so, welcome back. Thank uh, you. Welcome. And Dr. Can you say Sugar. Hi to my mum, Joanne. Hi. Hi. Hi, Joanne. Thank you. <laughs> That's polite. Uh, <laughs> and true to your nickname, Dr. Sugar. You have brought a- um, Hang on, are you okay with that nickname? Yeah, it's funny because I got diagnosed with diabetes recently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the- That's that's, that's such a coincidence that we've got. (laughs) That's why we call- I know. And so how- Because before we get to this, so you brought a drink, but last night uh, we went to a pub (laughs) and you actually returned your lemon, lime and bitters because you were saying it wasn't sweet enough. Yeah, because they used like soda water instead of lemonade. Like oh, that's Sprite. Are you sure that's what happened? Positive. Because you were blaming the gun. You were saying, oh, your gun's Because often what happens in, in bars and stuff, the gun that has Coke and mm. Pepsi and Sprite and stuff runs out of the, um, the syrup. The syrup. And then it basically becomes very watery. So ah, yeah, it was yeah. like basically lemons and soda water. It was a, yeah, but it was they a skinny that, bitch without the yeah. vodka. But then they said there's. Um, we're not using the guns. Yeah, and, and but I'm sure either this when they scooped the ice, there was so much water in it mm-hmm. that that's what happened because it was so much, it was water. <laughs> so you got it a wasn't, new one. You got a it new better. and they and it was better. Yeah, it was better. Yeah. How okay. much did you drink before you took it back? Nah, you finished it. Yeah, I just <laughs> you just <laughs> you finished it. You finished it. It wasn't a scam. It wasn't trying to. No, no, but no. you had finished, nearly finished it. No, not before I gave it back. It was about that much. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so you brought a drink. Yeah, I these are a drink. Yep. Yeah. So. Bright or like yellowy yes, orange mandarin are, sort of color. Yeah, these are from um, Korea actually, but this is on the calamansi. You can see that. Yeah, here. calamansi. This is for you, ninety-seven. It says calamansi sparkling. Calamansi so calamansi. I don't sure know if you, you guys give it, give it to Seb, so you're not going to have one. Are you can be. Yeah, okay yeah, with that? positive. Yep. Okay. Please. Um, there's only three left in the grocery <laughs> store. You can usually find these in some of the Asian grocery stores, not all of them. Yeah. So calamansi is this little hybrid uh, citrus fruit. It's like a cross between a lime and an orange. Oh, yeah. They're smaller than a lime. Have you seen them? Kalamansi? No, but what's the ones here? Um, oh, they're small. Fanta? No, no, no. On trees, <laughs> little kumquats. Is it kumquats? Yeah, they're like kumquat. a bit soury. Yeah, it's not the same. No, not the these same? Are, these are quite sweet, small. Um, they're orange on the inside. Green. Kind of greeny orange on the outside, depending. Okay. And they're delicious and in malaysia you said they have a calamansi drink with salty plums you know the asian salty plums no, no something no. else i really love um, you grew up in png yeah that's we didn't really have a lot of sweets and stuff we had the few little grocery stores were owned by chinese yeah or malaysian chinese and so those the thing the snacks we had were things like dry ginger salty plums stuff like that so i grew up with a lot of that my mouth is watering right thinking now about, yeah, thinking about thinking about salty plums you can have a sip salty of plums yeah. actual salt yeah, salt they, yeah, they preserve plums. Salt, sweet. Yeah, I'll bring some next time. Yeah. Where do you I, get I'm allowed from? on the show. You get them from Asian grocery stores. I mean, we like- get them from so Asian grocery stores. So the one across the road, that's a Thai supermarket. Probably wouldn't have this. Well, it- uh, po- possibly because a lot of the Asian grocery stores carry stuff from different Asian countries, countries okay. not just like if it's a Thai grocery <laughs> okay. store. I'm gonna try. And so yeah. when was the first time you had this drink? The the actual well, this can specifically like when I got here yesterday. But the drink itself, I don't know, years okay. ago. Mm. Mm. I mean, the first it kind of smells a bit like solo, but then has a different sort of, different sort of. It smells more like lemonade. Lemonade, yeah. 
I'm excited back. It's gonna. It's a different different hit though. Oh, it's, it's a different hit because very sweet, mm. super sweet. But good, isn't it? <laughs> it tastes <laughs> real is it the sweet. Sugar that you needed. It's a, it's <laughs> I needed a pick me up. It tastes like. Um, and this is 32 grams of a pick me up. Really, <laughs> it reminds fair. me of a um, a drink that you'd have like a glucose test. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Wait, do you like citrus drinks? I love this. Yeah, yeah. I like it because yeah. it's um, slightly sour as well. Yeah, so it really gets your taste buds going. Mm. They kind of just all clench up. Yeah, it's got the sweet and sour kind of. You're yeah. funny about beverages. When we go to like uh, Mexican restaurants, you always want to see if they've got the- Certain drinks, yeah. Um, what is it? The horchata. I love horchata. What is that? It's like a rice it's milk. It's a rice milk that they make with sugar and cinnamon. It's delicious. Rice milk? Yeah. Sugar and cinnamon. A Mexican drink. Yeah. It's never in, seen this. It's in Spain as well. It's slightly different, but uh, like in the States, because a lot of the Mexican restaurants have it. Yeah. If they're yeah. real Mexican restaurants, they mm -hmm. have it. And it's like, it's delicious. Mexican it's like canteen. A, it it's like a rice milk, like milkshake, but not thick. Yeah. I mean, it's this good. is like a, um, what's the Indian? The uh, Lassi. Lassi. Yeah. Lassi is a lot thicker. Lassi is thicker, yogurt based, sour. Yeah. Well, I sour felt so sick once. After having Indian, yeah. trying to work out what it was, is because I had like having a lassi and having like a full meal. meal. It's so oh. heavy. It's actually very. Oh, I didn't Brie drink the whole thing and then the dinner came. She's like, oh, I'm not hungry. Yeah, yeah. Why aren't like we it? hungry? And it's because we'd, uh, <laughs> we'd, we'd had like basically a thick shake. Yeah. Um, when, when did you move from PNG? Uh, to when did I leave Papua yeah. New Guinea? I was 18. I moved to Papua New Guinea when I was a child from the US. And then I was there. I moved there when I was two till I was five. My parents moved back to the States when I was five to nine. And then from nine to 18, we were back, back in Papua New Guinea. What's your oldest memory? Because I think, I mean, that's such young years, sort of two to five, five. Yeah. And so, because I, I, I look at my family um, sort of photo album and now I'm not sure what is memory, what is yeah. visual the photo, from the yeah, photo. Yeah, 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 so what do you common. think for you, because they're more substantial, I just grew up in the same house until I was 18, you know, yeah. 17, 18 when I left. For you, when was your earliest, earliest memory? childhood memory anywhere? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. I think like the contrast between being in the US and Papua New Guinea definitely kind of made me remember things because it's mm. quite, there's a lot of culture shock, like especially from when I was nine and we went back to Papua New Guinea from that time, I was this suburban kid in the suburbs of Chicago playing baseball with my friends and you know, we played with Lego and stuff, and then we go to Papua New Guinea, and it was completely the opposite. There was, you know, none of that, and no Lego, no Lego, and it was quite dangerous. And I, I saw what are kids playing? You make up game. I mean, later on, you could get Lego and stuff, but you know, the the good thing is like you're sharpening sticks and making bows and arrows <laughs> and slingshots, yeah, and yeah. you know, um, other types of games. Like you'd get these wires from um, spokes or just any kind of metal wire you could find, you turn it into a wheel and then you'd get another wire and turn it into a hook. And then you try and push this wire along the ground and you could do it with a garden hose as well, or any type of hose you'd find it's, <laughs> and so you'll why, see it. And I would see why? it when I later. What, what does it do? Like, what, like nothing. You just try and push this wheel along with this wire. It's really hard. And, and Africa and stuff. And <laughs> and Lego sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw this game in like, you know, Zambia, Uganda as well. I was like, Oh my God, we used to do that as kids. Yeah. Uh, what's the game in America? The um, horse, no, you throw the sort of 
bean bags. Yeah, onto a square. Onto the yeah, it's like onto this thing. Yeah, or a ramp. It. Yeah, there's the, yeah the ramp. Yeah. What's that called? Um, I don't even know. But I've played, fuck, it's like a, it's like a national sport. Mm. Is or like it really? A, like a kid. You see it at fairs. I did a it video on it once. It comes from horseshoes or something. I did it on. Um, I did a video about it once. Fuck, look it up. Game with game with bean bags. It's got a funny name. That's why I made the video. There's a there's a restaurant in Phoenix, Arizona that I, I go to a lot called um, Culinary Dropout, and I really love it. And they have like all these games and stuff. And one of them is that beanbag game. Yeah, so it's great. Every time I take my niece and nephews, we we play it. Yeah. So but I don't know what it's called. You're living uh, in the Gold Coast. Living in the Gold Coast right now. Moved there two years ago. Loving it. Absolutely love it. And being in Melbourne right now. Seeing the weather. Well, it depends. Like Melbourne, I, I don't want to diss it because it's an amazing city, the food, the culture, everything, and lots of good people here. Yeah, thank you. Um, As he I, rubs my back. Yeah. That was nice. And mine. <laughs> but the thing is that I... If you're not watching. If you're a, if you're a weather person, um, weather really affects me. I lived in the UK for a year. I wanted to... I couldn't... If I could only pry the window of the apartment I lived in, it was painted shut, but if I could only pry it open I would have thrown myself out the window it was so depressing <laughs> um, but I think like the weather I you know, was going to say like stuffy in there no, <laughs> yeah, yeah just it gets a bit yeah gotta be dramatic but no I, I I don't the Gold Coast weather is phenomenal and the beach really it's has ridiculous. an effect on me it's ridiculous and when you hear the sound of the ocean and you hear the like the wind coming through the apartment my apartment is on the 35th floor across the street from the beach right now I live in Surfer's Paradise, which is like the most touristy, cheesy part of the Gold Coast. Bogan? Would you describe it as Bogan? No, because there's a lot of, probably a lot of Aussies would say that, but there's a lot of tourists there and stuff. And uh -huh. I like the fact, I love being around tourists because they're so excited. Yep. So, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm walking down the street, you see people and you're always like, hey, yeah, I'll take your picture if you need me to. And, you know, they're like, oh my God, where, where are you visiting from? And I'm like, oh, I live here. And they're like, you live here. Oh, it's always a holiday for you. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's just, it's nice. It's beautiful. It's easy to get around 15 minutes to get anywhere when friends are like, hey, let's catch up for a, a coffee right now. What are you doing? It doesn't matter where you are. It's about 15 minutes. So. Yeah. I mean, it is an appealing life. I spoke to a, a someone who owns a coffee shop yesterday. They said they're selling the coffee shop because they're going up to the sunny coast, which is I think Sunshine, coast, Sunshine yeah. coast, further up from hours, yeah. the Goldie. And it's just another life. It's just a yeah. different life. You tell you, I mean, you've, you're someone who's lived. How many places do you reckon you've lived? Like I've, home, like home of residence, home, well? like ten, ten countries yeah. at least. Ten but countries. Multiple, mm. Some of them a few times. Yeah. There is something for me. I watch, uh, I watch skim skimboarding. You know, like um, yeah, on the water. On the water, yeah. I watch skimboarding videos of people in Laguna Beach, yeah, in California. Yeah. And I've just, I don't know. There's something in in me that's just like. That's a calling. I need like well, you that guys need to beach come. life. That I have a boogie board. I'm across the street from the beach. We should come have and hang out. We did that. We went. We did a show from Laguna Beach. <sighs> I could love to spend a month there or something. Yeah, come. like it's just another. I mean, especially not in to the Laguna Beach. We'll have to go to in, Gold Coast. But we'll I think go to the Gold Coast. That's. I mean, it's close by. A lot cheaper. Yeah, but fifteen minutes everywhere. They don't let you have fires on the. Parking. They don't let you have fires on the beach, <laughs> yeah, like in true. Laguna, mm. in the states. It's more loose. Yeah, but over the in beach honestly is so beautiful. Like the sand is unbelievable. Yeah, and I've been to a lot of beautiful beaches around the world. But I mean, I do you swim in it though, or yeah, you just yeah every every like, morning? I used to go every morning. Like I was just like instead of taking and then the photos for the tourists, <laughs> yeah, just got out of hand walking yeah, to know, the beach. I couldn't, like, yeah. Can I just Sir, get take to the this? No, I honestly, my life, you guys, was I would wake up, 
I wake up about six every morning before taking a shower. I, you know, my hair is still pres, crusty dribble on the side and I'd grab my towel, go down the elevator, go to the beach, even just swim for like five, 10 minutes and just fight the waves, dry off a little bit. It was usually so early that the sun wasn't out that much. It was yeah, like freezing, yeah, yeah. but the wind would dry me and then go back and then shower, get ready and work. And because I work from my laptop at home, I decided like, where do I want to be? I want to be in Australia. I want to get citizenship here. I have two more years. Um, so I need to be in Australia. And I was like, if I can work anywhere, why not the Gold Coast? It's so beautiful. Mm. And it makes you slow mm. down. It makes you, you know, like nobody has issues there. People are not like, oh my God. You think people are more a- attractive there? 100%. Well, <laughs> no, I, I tend to agree. No, it's, people but are, I think Bondi, like uh, living in Bondi, yeah, the the food culture. You think the, you get hotter when you're like yeah. Nissan? Do you think you are a hotter version of yourself than you were like two years ago, based on being there? No, not me. Unfortunately, I'm like obviously like everybody thinks I'm a tourist. I'm still pasty, overweight. <laughs> like <laughs> everybody there is like looks so you know like it's health. Like when you're around like healthy environments, do you, you feel become healthier? healthier. I feel. Do healthier. you feel hotter? No, <laughs> just because everybody around me is so good looking and they're not pretentious either. Like there's a couple of people that walk around, but everybody's super nice and stuff, but I'm just like, man, I really need to work. Sev, can you look up on our site when we did an episode and Josh was on the Gold Coast staying with Nathan? Oh yeah, that would yeah, have been during right. the Com game. But I remember you talking about just like, you. I remember you talking about like fruit salad, like you you start thinking, oh, I want yeah, fruit salad because I'm yeah. like, you're, you're looking beach. around, you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something about it. Yeah, you don't inspired. want a hot Asian soup on the beach. You want to eat like a nice acai bowl. Acai bowl. There's a lot of acai bowls. Everywhere. Yeah. Well, they did a big franchising thing, didn't they? Or whatever it was. Well, acai is just the fruit. Yeah. But then, you know, it's there's a Acai brand. Brothers, yeah. there's one of those. And then there's yeah. the. If yeah. you have the berry in Brazil, it's from Brazil, it's really doesn't taste like <laughs> well they were it's like there's some amazonian fruits and shit that just yeah. are useless it's like there's fish in the ocean that are so ugly they can't sell them and so yeah but they're f- but these fruits are not useless like, like the high well this nor is the fish that we could eat that we yeah, won't yeah. that but people won't buy yeah. it's like uh, bananas or hmm? bananas that are yeah. the wrong shape sure. they don't sell them yeah, fuck yeah. off i'd buy those yeah yeah just yeah, well, there's a movement, isn't it? Like ugly fruit or something. Is there? People, yeah, I've seen it. In it's some it's, called, it's called imperfect. Imperfect. Or I'm perfect, <coughs> depending imperfect. on the way. No, depending imperfect. on the way you look at it. Right? I'm perfect or imperfect or ugly fruit. Yeah, ugly fruit. Yeah. I think that should be the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, episode ugly fruit. Episode sixty-three. Josh's up on the Gold Coast. I remember Coast. I had to go into my room and keep quiet. Can we play a bit of audio <laughs> from that show? Oh yeah, Sebs, can you do that? I wasn't uh, included yeah. in that show play, at all. Yeah, it was no, like, they said, go to your room and be I quiet. I played the early start because I remember we had technical issues. Oh, did we? And so it went from uh, decent audio to not great audio because um, we were me. using Zencaster, this service where it would record on both ends. Oh. But then at the 30-minute mark, it would always change audio devices from my microphone to the internal microphone. <laughs> so it wasn't me in my room going yeah. on the, with the transistor trying to hack <laughs> yeah, here. Turning the Wi-Fi yeah, on gonna, and off. Are you going to be able to play a bit, Sebs? Yeah, do you want me to just play the... Yeah, go from the start. Just play it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we go. 63. What what date? Has it got a date on there? April 12th. Okay. Tw- uh, 2018. Mm. 2018, yeah. God, this was early oh, days. This could be embarrassing. 
It's the Daily Talk Show, everyone. What up, um, everybody? You might you might hear a bit of difference in Josh's audio because he's coming to you live from the Com Games. Yeah, live from the sunny sunshine. Wait, is it the sunshine? The Gold Coast? Gold Coast. The Gold Coast is... What's the difference between the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast? Well, I think there is... Um, sunshine Coast is like down past the Gold Coast. I actually like uh, the sunny coast not, uh, more so than the Gold Coast. So like up I towards think- Noosa. I think that's yeah. the Sunshine Coast up that way. Because um, I... Um, at the moment, let me just look on a map where I actually am. Uh, so I'm staying. Yes, uh, I've just decided to come up, and they uh, they were saying there weren't many people at the Com Games, and you know I hate crowds. So I'm like, <laughs> if it's quiet, <laughs> you can probably stop it now, right? There you go. It's true though. That was a shame because I just moved there. And I was so excited about the Commonwealth And you paid games. more rent because of the Com Games, yeah. did you? Yeah, because I couldn't find anything. So everything was expensive. This is a new apartment. It's a different, You're... yeah, I was in a different apartment. And um, it was so quiet. There were these, um, every night on the beach and surfing. The world music yeah, There were sick. amazing world mm. music. Every night, like yeah. different acts. And there was like 10 people there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. Fast. We were sat on the sand. Just what it was sick. Dude, I, I, I was so relaxed. I still stand by the sunny coast. But I, yeah, sunny coast is beautiful. Oh, I do like Burley Heads, which is... Yeah, Burley Heads is cool. It's a lot like Bondi. Burley Heads is... Yeah. So when I tell the locals, like my friends, that I live in Surfer's Paradise, they all give me like yeah, yeah, shocked yeah. look and horror. Yeah. But I, I just because I work at a lot of crazy hours... It's the only suburb that has stuff open late at night. So if I want to eat at night, or what whatever, time? What's I mean? This like is what I like about one going in the to the morning, States. three in the morning. What? What? Mm. What's open at yeah, one a.m.? Lots of things, Asian food. So this McDonald's, is a big thing in Asia. It's like Pakistan. When we were there, it's like you would um, yeah two a.m. You'd go to a food place and just eat. Yeah, and I, uh, Asia comes alive at night. It's a big thing. My young one of my youngest sisters, her and her husband are in Brisbane right now. They just move there but their aim is to move to spain and they want to go because they love things happening at night yeah and at spain like you start dinner at 11 p.m yeah early dinner (laughs) do you think it's good lifestyle like is it um eating at 2 a.m are you making bad food choices yes definitely but hang on what do you what's your life look like not for you but like for someone (laughs) eating at 11 p.m in spain are they working at getting up at 7 a.m to go to work yeah but then they have like this two or three hour or four hours sometimes siesta where everything stops, you go mm-hmm. home with your family, you eat together as a family, and then you go and take a nap. It's annoying if you're not used to it. Like yeah. when we went to Barcelona, it's like <clears throat> you can only start eating yeah. from 8 p.m. And that's yeah. Can you pull up an episode early. from Barcelona? <laughs> <laughs> there would be one. There would be from the room. Um, yeah, but so then it's, yeah, that's a weird thing. Have you been to Afghanistan? No. I, um, no. What's here? <laughs> Have I? <laughs> On paper? <laughs> no, my sister has, my youngest sister lived there for a year. Lived there? Yeah. I watched a video yesterday on YouTube of a guy, he's, you know, premises, Afghanistan, we hear about what happens over there, how dangerous it is. Is it dangerous? I'm on the ground. I've got a camera and I'm going and I've got a translator and I'm meeting people. And so you're hearing from these it's people. It's no, uh, Sabor. Is that what's... what's um, no, no, no. This yeah. was a YouTuber, just okay, like yeah, a yeah. legit YouTuber. Yeah. He looked like the whitest guy ever. Like crisp haircut, just to, you know, just like, just like a whitey being amongst <laughs> culture, yeah, and just a fish out of water. Like you know, in his Gant t-shirt, around people wearing sort of what they can to survive, and hearing about how they're living on 
one guy was making 500 something, which was like six, $6 US. And that's what he lived on a day. Mm. And fuck, it just made me, like I felt, you know, then there was a woman in there whose baby was getting sick and just had needed 50 cents to get five hours somewhere. It's like mm. a different world. I mean, that's, that's the great thing about traveling. Where, where yeah. have you found that sort of gave you the most perspective about your existence and what I mean, it all means? Growing up in Papua New Guinea. Like yeah, that was that was the biggest life experience, you know, like going from these rich suburbs of the U.S. to Papua New Guinea, where you see like it was it was literally night and day. Like I think I walked around in just absolute shock at the, you know, especially when I was nine. When I was younger, it was different, but when I was nine, it was just shock and witnessing, you know, like. I think the thing is as well, it's like very hard in for people in, in the West, like because the media promotes, like the media generally is very Western centric mm -hmm. and it comes from the West and that's what you see in the world. And that's, you know, the uh, website, most websites in the world are English language. And then of those websites, you know, like probably the va over 50% of them, I'm sure are in North America alone and consumed by North Americans. And then, you know, the UK, um, Australia, these countries, Canada. And so you kind of think because of what goes out there that this is the world, but then you don't realize that actually most of the world lives like that person mm. in Afghanistan mm. and not like us where we're like, oh, what do we have for dinner tonight? You know, and I think that's kind of, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because our, we read our reality differently because we think it's a reality when it's not. And that's often because of the role media plays, especially in, in first world countries or the West. So when you were living in Atlanta, working at CNN, yeah. a news organization that's doing just that, I guess, like giving yeah. a perspective, were you pushing back on that or saying, hey, what about these other stories? Yeah, for sure. I think um, a lot, and a lot of journalists do that. You know, I think there's no doubt, like one of the things I loved about working at CNN, this was a long time ago. I don't know what the nature of CNN is like now, but when I what was What year there, was it? Would have been... This was uh, late 90s, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I think definitely the people I worked with are all passionate about justice and seeking truth and letting people know about things. And I was involved in the very early days. There was a show that we started called Inside Africa, which was just a kind of handful of us on the side working on this show, which was trying to show the other side of Africa because all that was being shown of Africa was civil war, AIDS, famine, you know, and it was this concept of like trying to show like, mm. okay, like what about people just doing ordinary things mm. and, you know, interesting things. And it's, and, you know, and then the other things about Africa that weren't war, famine, AIDS and stuff was also like safaris or, you know, it was like, is there anything else going on? So there was a focus on like musicians and art and culture and, you know, just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And so, yeah, that, I mean, and there was a lot of examples of that as well. The first show I worked on at, uh, at CNN was called World Beat, which I absolutely loved. It's an international music show and I wish they had something like that now. And that also put a lot of energy into interviewing other artists, um, like one of the highlights of my time at CNN was interviewing uh, Lucky Dube, famous South African reggae artist who unfortunately was killed <clears throat> in South Africa. But, you know, like a lot of people think of reggae as being like from Jamaica or the mm. Caribbean, but actually like Africa has a huge uh, genre of reggae music. Um, so 
in which I actually grew up on a lot of African reggae in Papua New Guinea, which is really interesting. So I don't know. I do think those organizations, even by default without trying to, are mm -hmm. trying to show those things. Um, but at the same time, a lot of that information news is dictated by consumers, right? So I remember we worked on this show, which was a documentary, and it was horrific. It was called Cry Freetown. And it was about Freetown, which is the capital of Sierra Leone. And it was when the Civil War was happening in Sierra Leone and the rebel forces had basically taken over Freetown. And there was a guy that was working for UNICEF um, uh, as a cameraman in the AV department. He might not have even been a cameraman, but basically he looked out the window and the rebels were coming down the street. And the rebels were, the campaign they had was called Kill Everything That Moves. And that's exactly what they're doing. Quite straightforward. <clears throat> mm. It was the horrible. worst. The footage that we had to work with was, it's still burned in my brain. Like I, right. I couldn't sleep many of those nights. It was so horrific what they were doing. And they were literally coming up the street and killing every single thing in their path and viciously. And um, What's the thing for them? Obviously come up with the slogan, <clears throat> wipe out everyone. What is it to do? Why? They wanted to take over the country and the government take power. Start from scratch yeah. with our people. And, you know, it was a lot of childhood soldiers. Um, actually, one of the, I think one of the best films made by Netflix is called Beasts of No Nation. And it's loosely based on those types of stories. And when I watched it, it was exactly like the documentary stuff we were working on with uh, Sierra Leone. It's an excellent, excellent movie. It's extremely harsh and difficult to watch, but I thought it was so well done and um, highly recommend it, Beasts of No Nation, but it's very difficult to watch. But um, yeah, well, mentioning the child soldier thing, it just reminded me of Coney. Coney, twelve. 12. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 What happened to Coney? Was he? A, was a deal? Was he, so a, he was yeah. a front for something, was or like was a, all was, bullshit? No, no, no. That's a person. So it was like a, was it a dictatorship. He was, or was a, a he was, he was a rebel him? trying to get power, and he uh -huh. would recruit child soldiers and basically, well, recruit meaning like go mm. make the child execute his parents. Mm and then take the child. And once you've been traumatized and broken down like that, then you build them up and you become their family. It's a lot of, it's yeah. what a lot of gangs do in the world as well, right? Like you become their family, like people that yeah. are searching for that. Yeah, your brothers. Except these people were not searching for that. These people were just living their lives in their villages or the towns they were in. And then the rebels would come in, surround the village, rape, kill, and then take the kids, especially the boys that they wanted as soldiers, mm -hmm. Is, it's horrific stuff, and it's real. And the thing is, this stuff still happens right now. And this so where is, not, is it at now? Because I guess this is what happens. Even with the bushfires, there's a time where it feels like uh, the media and social media, it's going to be mm -hmm. the change, and everyone's mm -hmm. talking about it. I even remember like the Coney 2012 thing. I remember how big that was on yeah. social media. It's one of those first social movements at that mm -hmm. level. But then where does, yeah. it, where does it end up? Where does it land? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know with the Coney thing right now, but I think that is one of the problems with having kind of this instant culture that we live in. It's like that was one of the issues I had working with the news in general is that, you know, people become addicted to the latest news. So mm -hmm. even if things are going on still, they don't really want to talk about it because that's not the new thing right now. The yeah, flavor yeah. of the month right now is this thing happening in Syria. Next month, it might be this other thing happening somewhere else. So it was, it's kind of sad. And, and that's, I think that's a combination of, 
you know, news outlets needing funding to do things and, you know, basing themselves on commercial gain, but then also people. So the reason I was talking about Cry Freetown was because one of my friends at CNN, this is before like a lot of people would email and, uh, sorry, uh, like social media, but one of my friends was in charge of like all the phones at CNN where people would call in and give like feedback. Oh, that, you know, news article you just did about such and such, you know, I've got this person who, you know, or I didn't like that episode. I think that mm. was incorrect or whatever. And he'd take all this feedback. And I'll never forget when we aired Cry Freetown on CNN, this was like, it was, it was huge because nobody had made a documentary. Journalists that were in Freetown, in Sierra Leone, were either killed or evacuated. So two years later, finally, this documentary got made. And you got to watch it because this guy, what he did was he looked out the window, saw them coming and massacring everyone and knew just a And he was the only one in the building and he knew they would just find him and kill him. So he grabbed the camera and a bunch of batteries and put on the UNICEF vest and ran out straight to the soldiers, like cheering and with his hands in the air and hugging them and celebrating and just basically saying, yes, you've, you're taking over the capital and basically won favor with their officer and just said, you know, this is the revolution. We have to film this. This is the history of this country. And, you know, first they kind of knocked him to the ground and he's like, no, no, we got to film this. And then they just were like, actually, he's right. Okay, film. And then poor guy had to go with them now and start filming as they're going door to door and just massacring people. But it was a thing that it was the the thing is, and and the story of him is amazing of how he survived this, and then he gets captured. You know, then the uh, United African soldiers who were fighting the rebels captured him, and of course they think he's one of the rebels. So anyway, long story short, he manages to escape and he hides all the tapes, buries a hole under a bridge somewhere, and he's being tortured and stuff. Anyway, years later he comes back and gets the tapes, and then they make this documentary. And it was the first time there was footage of this stuff. And it, it's quite intense. Highly recommend it. But the reason I was saying it was, um, I think these things do make an impact as well, because within two weeks of us airing that, the UN quickly met. And next thing you know, uh, French special forces are going in to try and help. And there was more attention. At the same time, when we aired it, we aired this thing, oh my God, heartbreaking, everything. Then right after, you know, there's soft news and hard news. Mm. Soft news is like, okay, let's end with a feel-good thing or whatever. There was this one bit of news. It wasn't necessarily soft news, but it was about when, it was around the time where people started to get cameras in their homes and stuff. And this person had a dog sitter coming over and they put a camera in the hidden in the bookshelf. And then they came home and they saw the dog sitter was like smacking the dog on the nose. And so that was the kind of story, right? Of like, uh, this person found this. Like the nanny cams, right? That's yeah, yeah. a big it thing. Was, that was like kind the teddy of the, bears. You could yeah. buy a teddy bear and their eyes were cameras. It's great. The thing is though, I don't want to, you know, I'm not, of course, like animal cruelty is not good. And, you know, I saw the video. I don't think she was really hurting the dog. That was like slapping it a little bit. But the thing is, you've just seen these people, mm -hmm. like kids being burnt alive and yeah. killed. And it was horrific. And then suddenly this little video... And my friend who worked the phones at CNN was like, it's funny, nobody really called about the Sierra Leone documentary, mm -hmm. but the phone went off the chain when people saw the dog yeah. thing, Is that right? like something to do and, with the koala thing as well? Like I wonder how many people are con connecting more to the, you know, billion animals. Yeah, 
Maybe. And I, and I mean, definitely. Story. I wonder what yeah, the psychology I, of it is. Yeah, and I think like Ricky Gervais talks about this a little bit as well, which, you know, I understand where a lot of people are coming from in this, where it's kind of like, look, human beings are mean. Mm-hmm. And, they're, you know, it's so, like they've caused their own problems. Animals are innocent. And that's what, like, they're just caught in the middle of our own mm-hmm. destruction. So, of course, mm-hmm. we, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be passionate, but I think we need to be, we need to have everything. And I think, psych, you know, psychologically as human beings, we, f- we create false dichotomies and it's hard for us to kind of do everything. So we just kind of latch onto one thing. And that's why yeah. also the news is constantly changing, even though situations in the world are still happening. And I think there's also a sense of like, when there's so much going on and so much negativity, you also feel kind of helpless. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'd rather just turn off the TV and go get a bubble tea, you know? Yeah, so. I know you would. You love the bubble tea. Yeah. <laughs> and even you were talking about a hot bubble tea before. You know you can get, there's a bubble tea shop down here. No way. Yeah, we should yeah. go get one up. We should do one. Hot bubble tea. That's what hot I wanted bubble. to bring to this, but I didn't want yeah. to be late, so. I'll be on about 150 um, grams of sugar by the end of that bubble tea. Are you, sh- are you counting your sugar? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. but, um, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely, I actually do. I check my blood every night. Really? Have you got it on yeah. you? Can we, no, it's a, um, sorry. We could have, so should have done it. Should have checked cool. our bloods. And so what's the, um, what do you got to keep it at? What's the. Keep it under level six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how are you finding <laughs> it? I didn't test last night. I should have, uh-huh. but I knew it wasn't going to be, but you I haven't be- been that bad. Like I'm not, when I got diagnosed with diabetes, I think I, and I just had like a stack of pancakes as well. Yeah. I was at like 8.7. You got to be less than six. And so what does it mean? So what does it mean being a diabetic? It means you have high levels of sugar in your blood. And then the thing is, it's not only like not good for you, like as far as you lose your leg and shit. Yeah. The problem is it affects your circulation. So (laughs) you can lose your vision. You can lose your um, uh, toes, your feet. That's kind of how it Mm -hmm. starts. So a lot of people, a good friend of mine was basically like, look, it's not about you dying. It's about you starting to lose your vision Mm -hmm. and your, you know, Limbs, quality of life, you have quality no of life. issue with death. You've always said that yeah. you're. Yeah, I don't really. I don't really it sounds what, bad. Yeah, what? My mom gets mad yeah. when I say Do you this. think it's part of because your dad passed away when he was quite young? No. Do you feel like is there a connection there? Or? I don't think so. I feel. Well, I mean, I'm a as a Baha'i by religion. Mm-hmm. We believe that this earth is not the end of everything. We uh-huh. believe that there's an afterlife, and I feel like in a way, this world is we believe that this world is preparation for the spiritual realm. And so in a way, maybe it is. There's no white limit on what yeah. you go through. <laughs> and everyone maybe gets a mansion. <laughs> Not is really. It, is but it, is it on um, the invention of lying. Oh, that's Ricky right. Gervais, yeah. He pretends he's, no one's lied before. And he pretends that he's been spoken to by the man in the sky. And everybody starts. And he to, says, you know, after this, there is mm. something. And well, the Mormons get, get a, a um, the Mormons get a planet, I believe. More, is, I don't know about the more. Oh, I might think of the Scientologists. <laughs> don't mix them up. Yeah. But, or, so, but I will say about Ricky Gervais, because yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of his, and he's very anti-religion. Yeah, and, he's I'm, an, I, and I'm very religious, but I, I absolutely love Ricky Gervais. And I think a lot of the things he says are true. And I, I love his show, Afterlife. It's great, mm-hmm. isn't it? I think, I don't know if you've seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I love right. that show. I think he's nailed it. And well, it's comedy, but you're laughing and crying. I know like he's got all the emotions, and I like the fact. And I and I feel like you should be able to talk about your beliefs. Like everybody has an agenda, in a sense, of talking about their beliefs. And 
he's made this show about the afterlife and, you know, well, in a sense, it's about afterlife and being good and stuff. And I think, like, others should do that. You know, Baha'is should do that. Christians should do mm -hmm. that. Everybody should be able to express that. And um, I think he did such a great job. There's a video of a priest, parish, head of the church, Catholic church in California, in Los Angeles, talking with Sam Harris, who's an atheist, scientist, uh, very different belief systems. And it's the most respectful conversation. Yeah. The the priest respects Sam, Sam respects, and it's just yep. two belief systems having a conversation. Yeah. It's really great to watch. And I think that's kind of one of the issues as well. And I, and maybe media, whether directly or indirectly has helped fuel this is that there is this kind of notion, especially when you hear the conversations happening, at least in Western media is that again, there's these false dichotomies. It's like you're either in this camp or you're in that camp. You're either this or you're that you can't be, you know, you can't be mm. religious and love something like Ricky Gervais, who doesn't, you know, you can't have normal conversations yeah, yeah. about stuff. And I feel like that's really missing nowadays. I think that sense of respect um, and really kind of like trying to work together with different types of people to find truth or to find harmony and, and help society mm. move forward is really missing. And people are very quick to kind of like put themselves in a camp and that's it. And you see that. Uh, in the political uh, landscape of the U.S. and so many different things. And Bill Maher, who I also, I, I love his podcast, um, Bill Maher talks about this concept a lot as well. And there's a lot of uh, people talking about this. And I feel it is, it's refreshing to be able to have conversations with not just like-minded people, with, you know, people that mm -hmm. think differently, but then you, you work things out together. And then you can still walk away, like the example you gave, you can still walk away maintaining your beliefs, but, being good buddies and getting a bubble tea together, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the media plays its role in sort of dictating the, I, guess, I mean, they're not in control of your feelings, but they're definitely triggering to people who are consuming something, CNN or whatever it is, reading the newspaper. Yeah. Like this morning on the way to work, um, I was listening to 774 ABC radio, I think, and – from the bushfires, which it was heavy, heavy coverage of all the stuff going on. Now the coverage this morning was about we're not doing enough. We're, uh, they're not they're not um, dividing the money and sending out money quick enough. Mm. Which is like I could see this coming from a mile away that they would jump on that. It's two weeks after they've closed off a huge. Bunch it's also of funding. cyclical, right? It's the same thing. Like every disaster, every like it all has the same friction yeah. points. Because they could come out and say. This charity has received $95 million, which is the biggest donation ever. They don't know what to do with it and they don't want to fuck it up. So they're mm -hmm. going to sort of slowly but mindfully start distributing the money because then there's going to be someone who says, my house is gone, I need help. And they're going, like, we'll fuck everyone's money. Mm -hmm. But yeah. they, that's not a yeah, because not they an want, angle that they yeah. want to run with. To I go. mean, in a sense, that's what trolling is, right? Like, it's kind of like that in a different way, but they're just doing it to create. Like, people want drama. I know. You're not going to have a TV also show. Also, negativity that's just, spreads. Yeah, negativity spreads. Yeah. But imagine, I remember when I worked at CNN, Ted Turner was floating this idea, really want to start the Positive News Network or, like, you know, the Good News Network. He wanted to have a network which just showed, like, good news, kind of like what we're trying to do at Inside Africa. Like, why does everything have to be about, you know, when you, you know, there are things as well that, you know, when I have 
friends that say, oh, the state of the world today is like, yeah, the state of the world is terrible. There's no question. But also, like, is it also because we have so much more access mm -hmm. to news now? Like, people weren't able to just film on their phone, like, stuff happening. So when you're bombarded with these dramas constantly, how much, and I'm not saying we should dismiss that, but how much negativity feeds negativity and how much positivity feeds positivity? Like, mm -hmm. there's such a thing as positive peer pressure mm -hmm. as well. But we, I guess there's, um, humans love tension, yeah. We're like we need tension in our lives. And so if everything was good or we saw everything through that lens, potentially it wouldn't create the tension that we like and we thrive or that we, you know, crave. So, I, yeah, I wonder where, where news and positivity sit. I don't know. Yes. What about, so what about in? It's a, it's a hard one. I mean, I think, mm. yeah. PNG, uh, yeah. you you know the the horrible stuff that happens there. Yeah. What's the news there? Because I mean, where we're watching is from mm -hmm. the privileged position of Melbourne, mm -hmm. or wherever we are around Australia. It's like we're lucky, we're f highly lucky in comparison to some of these third world yeah. countries. And well, like so global news versus local news yeah. as well. Like think mm -hmm. about anyone who is looking at the bushfires who are outside of Australia. They think. And rightly so, that the whole of Australia is, but like everything is burning, right? Mm. Like the way that it's communicated, and rightly so because it is such a big thing. But I guess that can also change people's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. What are you watching on the news in Papua New Guinea? Or I mean, I haven't your been in, in a while. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's the same thing. I think, like you're saying, people are drawn to tension and drama, mm -hmm. and also the sad thing is that the the way people do things. Uh, in the West, for example, or in, in a lot of news agencies that are kind of running the show, that becomes the norm and then mm -hmm. everybody tries to follow suit, right? Mm -hmm. So you even see it like, you know, Netflix has a lot of comedians on the show. And I always find that really interesting that some of the comedians I've seen on Netflix that are from other countries that I've seen before, they do a Netflix special and their tone is different. You can see they're trying to sound... American, they're swearing more, they're doing all these things that, wait a minute, like they're almost imitating because that scene is the kind of standard. And I wonder like how much, how much of the stuff, like when something is popular, does that mean it should be the standard? Mm. But then I guess like on the point around the negativity versus positivity, you're talking about the CNN journalists having a real sense of justice. Yep. Justice requires us talking about it. Absolutely. And is it us being in a privileged position, being like, oh, no, we don't want the negativity. Like if people are dying, if there are injustices, should we know? Yeah, but I think you can still look at people like, let's say there's a, a bad situation. For example, they reported about the fires a lot at the very mm -hmm. beginning on ABC. I'll never forget this. Something they were talking about is how many homes were lost, right? Then somebody came out and said, what about the homes that were saved? Why aren't we talking about that? Mm -hmm. All these firemen and their volunteers are doing so much hard work. What about counting all the homes and lives they've saved? It's kind of the same thing, mm -hmm. but it's looking at it differently. So well, I talked about, I talked about this um, news.com.au up the top, a red bar with the tally of deaths. And it was almost gamifying it to go. I, I would check and go, fuck, is there any more? Like, I want to yeah. see this. Yeah. Thing, but, whoa, but the what devastation. Provokes, what provokes change? What provokes uh, donations. So if you if you're a viewer and you mm. say, "Oh, they saved heaps of homes," 
does that get you to yeah because you're going to be like oh they've got the, they've yeah. got it handled and so the, there is them. there is also but I what guess, to, who's run who's the incentive to the incentive from a media outlet is is and views and listens it's not donations and so you can say that the attention to it attention to the devastation is helping the donations but that's not their initial in uh, reason for yeah. putting it forward they're a media company that need people mm. listening talking coming back and then i guess if at the same time you because you can definitely look at that and i would say that the cnn example like people say oh you know the internet has created this world where um all of this media is now based on clickbait and clicking through mm. it was just a different version it was just phone calls like who's called yeah. like what are people calling up for right and yeah. i'm sure that the um yeah the there's... hidden camera with the you know slapping the dog we get that up actually. That actually. I'm joking, Jason. He's actually doing it. <laughs> the you know that that creates a, a need within the business to find more of that. Yeah. I guess like the other thing is the justice bit, and it feels like in that time the people that are being sat. What is the advantage to the public? So I guess there's a narrative or there's an agenda. The agenda is there is a climate crisis. We need to be doing something about it. Focusing on houses being saved doesn't necessarily communicate the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's this constant kind of like turmoil or, or battle within mm -hmm. these organizations, like, you know, news outlets and uh, governments and different things of kind of like pulling on the emotions mm -hmm. or the heartstrings versus the actual facts and then the economy. And, you know, there, mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know, it's it's uh, it's not easy, which is why, you know, the world is mm. not easy. And I think, you know, these things are complex, but which is why, going back to your point, we need to have these discussions where two people of different ideas and things can talk about it. I think intention is, is critical here as well. Like, I think um, when you have a society or cultures fueled by economic gain, then your intention immediately changes and that everything you do is built on a, a you know, perhaps an incorrect foundation. So where does the, you know, intention lie if you're just trying to get clicks or you're just trying to get more money when what if you don't need as much money and what you need is, you know, people mm -hmm. to come and hug the families. You know, there's these mm -hmm. different things. I remember one of the stories uh, one of my friends at CNN did a long time ago was about like some of the orphanages in Romania after um, some of the civil wars. And it was all over like Bosnia bunch of these orphanages and they were hiring retirees to come and hold the babies in these orphanages. And it's kind of like, you know, I think we also forget, like we, we always look at things very materialistically, but what about the kind of, when you talk about emotion, what about things like that? Like, what about these people coming and just holding babies? Like how, what kind of effect does that have on the situation of the orphanage, you know? And, I think those are harder to measure. It's not like a tick thing mm -hmm. that you can have coming across the screen that you can't measure the emotional sustenance that that baby is gaining from this human being holding it and giving it love. So it's easier to just go for the obvious things like the statistics mm -hmm. and stuff. And I think those are important conversations to have. We need to have a discourse on these concepts of like, why do we only go towards the kind of easy, obvious things when it might suck but and might be harder, but we have to focus on the more difficult things. 
the development world does that too. When I lived in East Timor, it's the same thing. People wanted to do a mural on a wall, like graffiti and a mural with an organization about peace and harmony, because that was an easy thing to do. It's like we get the artists to come, they paint the mural, we can take photos of it. There's a photo opportunity, shake hands, and then it's done. It's a complete project. But they're not looking, and because they might not be funded next year. So they need to show something to get funds. But if they're really looking at the well-being, like the, and I mean that holistically, not just like financially, the well-being of that neighborhood where they did that mural, wouldn't you look at it from generations, you know, four generations? Like, okay, what does this community really need? When I was in Uganda, it was the same thing. In northern Uganda, it was one of the worst civil wars ever. People hacked to death, all the stuff going on. And these uh, doctors and therapists came in, and they found that these villages that had been ravaged by the soldiers or, or rebels and, you know, just horrific things happen. When they asked them what the village wanted, they said, we want to build our church first. We need the church first. And it's kind of like, what? Mm. <laughs> like everybody's sending clothes and food and stuff. But so these things are non-measurables in yeah. a way. And I think they're just a lot harder to figure out. What's the finite games versus the infinite games? And I guess the finite games are the easier ones to play because there's a set of rules and boundaries. And it's like you do this, you get money, yeah. all that sort of thing. The infinite games have the opportunity to make huge amounts of positive change, but they're harder. They're, they're harder unclear. and they take longer and yeah. you have to be in it for the long run. Mm, exactly. I see it as like the sprint versus the marathon mm -hmm. or, you know, and, um, and I feel like people are just, you know, we don't, especially also with, a lot of the technology now we're kind of in an instant culture like mm -hmm. everything is so instant so we're not thinking long term about like what these ramifications are before we finish up uh on wednesday uh mr 97 uh did a bit of a talk on sex with our mate scooter derek Clappy bit. Yeah, <laughs> nice you've seen that you're very brave very brave i was really really what's your thoughts on sex I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing. What about like from the, I guess, uh, looking at it in the, through the eyes of religion and your experiences with sex, how has it changed or your perception has changed over the years? Uh, I don't know if my perception's changed. My mom is going to be watching this. Yeah, that's right. Hey, mom. Uh, no, I mean, I think. So is my mom. No. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Lean in. Look I, at 97. <laughs> what do you think? 97 yeah, no, I mean, like, in what what context? I mean, I think it's it's. I do think, as we're talking about media, that especially in the West, there's been this profound like uh, emphasis on sex and sexuality, and I feel like, um, you know, you almost like I feel like it's one part of the of the human experience mm -hmm. of social life and family life and the individual and stuff. But it's kind of like we're bombarded by it so much that it's become such a big piece of the pie of everything. And I feel like I definitely feel there's an imbalance in that. And I think that also promotes like different concepts of like, you know, like uh, with marriage or things like this romantic idea, the same way kind of like romantic movies can kind of create a false sense of what a marriage is supposed to be. Mm. You know, like, oh, I thought I'd be galloping on horseback along the beach together. But actually, life is hard and we can't pay the rent. We've got to do the laundry and pick up the kids. And, you know, reality sets in. And I think they create these kind of mirages. I think, like, as far as sex goes, 
the society has focused so much on this that it's very dangerous. It creates these kind of, you know, mirages. And, and that can work in different ways depending on um, how you consume it and stuff. But I feel, um, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing. I'm a Baha'i as Baha'is. Um, sex, the sex impulse and stuff is acknowledged and encouraged, but it's, you know, encouraged within the context of a marriage. And so guilt and sex... I guess that those are two things that are intertwined in a in a weird way for many people. Yeah, I think yeah, maybe, and especially when it's being spoken about in religious contexts. Often, mm. I think I don't see religion as that way, though. I, I see, for example, belief systems, or at least my belief system, kind of the way that you know. I don't think there should be this kind of like mm -hmm. guilt of like lightning bolts or whatever. You've done something right or wrong, or oh, you had sex before marriage. Shame on you. I don't think mm -hmm. it's like that. I think it's more kind of like these teachings from these prophets or messengers is kind of like, you know, this is what it looks like to have a well-balanced diet. And is example. that based on culture, do you think, though? Do you think that's like culture in a period of time? So if you look at when those prophets were around and it was a long time ago, it was more conservative in that time. So the views will potentially be more conservative. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, again, that's to do with belief because I don't believe that those things are based on just culture and time. Mm -hmm. I think those things, I think there, if you believe in spirituality, I think there's certain spiritual truths mm -hmm. that run through. If you believe, you know, for Baha'i, we believe that human beings are both physical and spiritual, and the two are also interconnected and intertwined. So what you do physically also has ramifications on your spiritual well-being. And then these things also have social ramifications and things naturally. But so I don't think you can kind of necessarily always separate the two. It's mm -hmm. like once you've added milk into your tea, you can't separate it. And I feel like human beings are like that. And you can't, um, again, these, a lot of these are false dichotomies. Mm -hmm. I, I think so does, and, does religion have uh, room to move? So for instance, if the times have changed or things have evolved, what does like i guess you can use uh your sort of faith as mm -hmm. a as a way like do, have you seen the baha'i faith change based on society yes but not in the not in the the baha'i faith does change but not in the sense of our laws and teachings for mm -hmm. example so the, the baha'u'llah is the prophet of the baha'i faith and there's a laws that baha'u'llah has put down that baha'is uh, stick to and don't change but the Baha'i administration, we have uh, elected nine people every five years that run the affairs of the Baha'i world community and then in local communities. Those people can't change mm -hmm. the laws of the Baha'i faith, for example. That that doesn't change. Like if in, in Baha'u'llah's teachings, he said, if things have not been decided upon by Baha'u'llah, mm -hmm. then it's the job of the Universal House of Justice that elected nine people to basically come up with those laws. So for example, you know, things that are coming up nowadays, then the Universal House of Justice will make a will if they decide or not to make a law on those things. But then again, Baha'is are also products of their environment, their mm -hmm. reality, just people like everybody else. So so much of their own culture is also so heavily influenced and infused into the way. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, somebody in Australia might see some of these laws um, in a certain way, and then somebody living in Zimbabwe might, you know, see some of these laws in a different way, and also struggle 
with different types of things at different, you know, depending on the media and what society promotes and, you know, all this type well, of thing. The, the media thing, you were talking about the romanticism of, say, marriage. Yeah. Where it's like it's on a horse and on a beach, all that sort of thing, which sounds horrendous to me. Like after <laughs> the idea of being on a horse on a beach seems uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, I guess if you were on a you saddle a and saddle. stuff, yeah. yeah, if you got a saddle, <laughs> and if you're uh, naked, it's yeah. worse. <laughs> but so using that example, you, you see or you hear stories of your religious uh, mates who it's like we didn't do sex before marriage. Yeah, they didn't live together before marriage, and then they finally get married, move in, realize that they're completely incompatible, and then they like end sexually up or just across, across anyway. the board, yeah. like so. Uh, it's a fucking pain in the ass to yeah, live yeah. with. We're not sexually compatible, yeah. all, all that sort of stuff. Is religion in some ways just like that media narrative where it's romanticizing the importance of this specific thing rather than the nuance of let's actually, as 97 puts it, test and learn yeah. before we uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the deal. I think it depends like in the Baha'i faith, um, for example, I think, you know, we're encouraged to get to know the partner and things mm -hmm. like that. But then why why does having sex with a person define getting to know that person? And whether you're And so, so isn't that the question? So is it well if we so, if we talk about that milk and tea analogy and it's sort of all intertwined, is it also just as naive to say that they are sep like that we do separate those things? Yeah. That we can know someone socially or we, we can know a partner without having that experience. Yeah, and this is what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, how do you kind of, like, you know, like, why an emphasis on that, for example, mm -hmm. where then not, like, like, why would people assume that that is the cause of a divorce? For example, I don't, mm -hmm. I just think human beings are, I mean, I can see how that can happen. Because if you think many, about, yeah, if you think about, you like, can also, You can also go the other way. Like, this, that sort of version you yeah, yeah. set That's up one narrative. is, like, makes sense to sort of push down or disregard the worth of not experimenting or not doing the stuff mm -hmm. before you get married. Because the other way is you're with somebody who mm -hmm. you had massive chemistry with, then you're not into the sex with them later on. Mm -hmm. That's why you dump them. Yeah. Oh, and so well, then or, or, or even getting to, you know, I, I have uh, friends that have, for example, you know, had lots of sex before they got married. And then a, when a they friend. got, yeah. no, <laughs> no. and then when they got married, they really struggled because mm -hmm. all they were doing was comparing it to all their other sexual partners. Mm -hmm. So that could also backfire. Right. So, yeah. whereas if, if, if there is chastity involved and both people come to it, they learn, they explore, they grow together in that way. Um, and then also, again, like so much of this revolves around like these notions of kind of like, what is our purpose in life? What does marriage mean? You know, it's, again, these are things that I find it is so complex and difficult. I don't feel like it's necessarily able to, you know, you can't necessarily pigeonhole things. Even with my divorce, people were like, oh, you proposed to her the third time you met her. No wonder you got divorced. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's why we got divorced. There were other factors, and there wasn't one factor. There's many different but, but factors. Would you potentially are complex say, yeah. is what I'm saying. Would you, would you say potentially that meeting three times and then getting married, there is a, a higher likelihood of divorce based on the testing and learning stuff. You haven't actually worked out whether no, because compatibility. No, because you go to countries like India where mm -hmm. there's a lot of arranged marriage and they have an extremely successful marriage rate. Is that because they're so going based you, on but is it going based on their 
value system. So they're actually not seeking those things, but because of media and everything like that, we have the expectation that it's like, if you're getting married with someone, you should be doing all these things. You can have the whole thing. Yeah. But I also think, again, these things are complex because Mm -hmm. like that whole concept of like, you know, what do I want? What's Mm -hmm. important for me? And like individualism also plays into it. Societies like in India, for example, where it's more social and communal, and it's not just about you, it's about your family, it's about the society you live in and the neighborhood and stuff plays a big role too in shaping your thoughts and emotions Mm -hmm. on how you interpret and take things on. So if you live in an individualistic society where everything is about whatever you feel and whatever makes you feel and also that pumps this concept of the pleasure principle. You say pumps? The- yeah, sorry, maybe not the best, but I mean, it's pumping it out. <laughs> okay. out there. That's what I was saying. Chopping. I mean, this pleasure principle, like in, in, you know, in the US and Australia, I think like there's so much emphasis on this concept of mm-hmm. whatever makes you happy, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff. But what if what makes you happy is at the expense of others? And it's not always just obvious things like violence or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like what, what about e- economy or business? People screw each other over business-wise, but it's all, it's it's okay. It's just, it's just business. Like that term, it's just business. Wait a minute. Like, mm-hmm. why is that okay? What about being human? What about emotion and love and trying to do the right thing? So I, I'm just saying these things are also hard to navigate or understand when they're, even for someone like me, mm-hmm. when they're on, like, who assumes that I have kind of a... a kind of clear direction of- It's nuanced. It's just so nuanced. Oral sex? Those nuances are are based on very like difficult foundations depending on the environment you live in. Is it the reproductive bit that like within say the content, like obviously you know a lot about your faith. Is it the reproductive nature of sex that's a problem and is oral sex seen as okay? No. You can't know oral sex either. Okay. (laughs) That was it. <laughs> Anything else, Sebs? Anything you want to ask him? No. Okay. Very brave. Very, <laughs> yeah, it was very yeah. good. Wasn't it? No, very brave. Like that that video you're in was fantastic. And important, I think, right? Like it's, yeah. I think yeah. it's important to be able to have I think those it's conversations. Important. Yeah, exactly. I, I think when you talked about the priest, and I think these conversations are so important and of all types, of all kind of, mm-hmm. you know, and not to be influenced by others. Don't let People tell you what, you know, you do what you feel is right, when you feel it's right, if you feel it. Like, don't, mm. like, yeah, don't give in to that peer pressure. <laughs> Whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, unless your name's Tully. <laughs> <laughs> Long story. Uh, it's a daily talk show. Uh, hi at thedailytalkshow.com is the email address. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a uh, review on Apple Podcasts. It's always appreciated. Uh, otherwise, Negative fine, but five star. Yeah, which we had the other day. Sebs, did you <laughs> want to read that one read out? That? What? So we had, uh, a, we had someone who had some feedback, but they gave a five-star review, which we appreciated. Oh, okay. We did a whole bit um, talking about- Was it about, constructive feedback? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Good. Horoscopes, we were talking about that the other day. Which we won't get into today. Because it a massive rabbit hole. What is your horoscope, by the way? <laughs> Yeah, what, what, Wait, uh, like Gemini, that one or Chinese? Your Gemini? Which one? Oh, I'm fine. of yeah, course, Mister uh, International. I'm Gemini, <laughs> yep, and then yeah, Chinese, I'm a tiger. Uh, rawr. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've got a I've got a tiger hat at home, which you could have. Yeah, yeah. Would you, you wear? I'll tell you the story. Hats, yeah. Yeah. What color is the hat? Black. Yeah, I'll wear it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so what uh, was yeah, the review? Yeah, we got a review from Gronk One Hundred. 
uh, is their new username. Nando's Extra Hot was the uh, title. Your episode on spirituality and horoscopes was so mind-numbingly boring that it resulted in me falling asleep at the wheel, crashing my car into a bridge, and delaying traffic on the M1 during peak hour. I'm suing. You better lawyer up, Gronks. Five stars. <laughs> yeah, but he said fi- they said yeah, five, five stars. stars. They wrote five stars. Said five, five stars, stars and then hit the five star. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's very generous. And sorry about your car. Yeah. Yeah. Not sorry about the convo. (laughs) I don't know if the convo would have put him to sleep. You guys have, yeah. Oh, thank you. How could you fall asleep with what you guys have? Thanks, Tiger. Thank you. All right, it's Dad Talk Show. See you guys. See you guys. Bye.